Welcome to the Mike Smith Show podcast. This is your one-stop shop for all the latest happenings in BC. From breaking news and developing stories to giving the big headlines a closer look, the Mike Smith Show is here to keep you dialed in and up to date. Let's begin. First, closer to home here, we start with Vancouver Mayor Ken Sim, his plan to abolish the Vancouver Park Board, the backlash in his own party that is going on as a result of that. Got John Cooper standing by to discuss. First, let's have a listen to the mayor. Here he is speaking to me earlier this week on this decision to abolish the Vancouver Park Board. Have a listen. We tried to fix it. We, we elected um, a supermajority on the, the park board. And what we found yeah. over the last year is the system's broken and you could literally drop seven superstars in there and it's not going to fix the problem. And so we're going we're gonna to fix the system. Okay, so he says they wanted to try and fix the park board, tried and failed, can't fix it, so you got to scrap the park board. Let's discuss this now with my guest, John Cooper. John is a former park, Vancouver Park Board chair, and I'm very pleased to welcome him back to the show. John, thank you for coming on today. Yeah, thanks very much, Mike. I thought I was uh, I, I thought I was going off into retirement, but uh, this is an issue too big to stay silent on. Okay, John, um, let I, me let, lay it on me here. Where do you stand on this? Well, here's the thing: <clears throat> the mayor has no mandate to do this. He ran an election, said he was going to put superstars in, was going to fix it. You can't fix it in one year. Number the other thing is is that he hasn't funded. He haven't hasn't given the funding to the park board so they can fix it, and you can't do it in one year. The other thing is, this is this completely undemocratic move. He has no mandate. You can't remove an elected body by a vote of council. Uh, at the, you know, the, the, even the premier, I'm sure, will look at this and say, "Look, you ran, you elected seven people. They swore an oath, and uh, the park board has been around since 1890. Yeah. How many mayors and councils over the years have come to value the park board?" And all of a sudden, you've got a rookie mayor who's not doing that well up at uh, City Hall, by the way. We've had two major tax increases coming our way. Um, so what is he fixed and what does he plan on fixing? OK, well, he says that they tried to fix the park board and it didn't work out. So this is why they need to scrap it. And when I had him on the show here the other day, John, he had a long litany of problems at the park board that he says is the reason that it should be shut down. Let's listen to one of them here. This is just one. So he said that there was a baseball field at Trout Lake Park that was in poor condition. Parents wanted to fix it. I'll let him explain it. Have a listen. I think of Trout Lake literally. There are a bunch of parents and a bunch of kids that have literally raised their own funds to improve uh, that that baseball um, field. And they're getting stymied by uh, the park board right now. They're, they're not even allowed to use their own funds to fix a field for their kids to be able to play. I mean, we saw how they had to rely on private donations to get the Stanley Park train back up and running. We saw the front uh, facade of the Vancouver Aquatic Center sort of fall off. Uh, we've seen a report come out that a whole bunch of community centers and rec centers in the city are in poor condition. Like, John, this is not a good performance record of this park board. Come on well, now. Let's, let's, let's break it down, though. Let's talk about that. So what happened with the community centers and the, and the pool? For instance, yeah. about 10, 15 years ago, the uh, Department of the Park Board that looked after the buildings was put under the city control in a department called Real Estate and Facilities Management, REFM. 
The park board is now a client of the city for repairs to those buildings. This falls completely on the city of Vancouver, not on the park board. When they went to the shared services model, the responsibility for these facilities is actually the city of Vancouver. He doesn't have a clue about what the park board does or doesn't do. He was blaming the park board for the trees coming down in Stanley Park. Well, it yeah. was a looper moth in, you know, uh, infestation. That's to do with climate. That's to do with a whole bunch of reasons. And the park board is now dealing with it effectively. They're removing those trees. This is a rookie mayor who is just looking to have you change, look in another direction because he's got these big tax increases. Now it's like, don't look here, look mm-hmm. over there. His own commissioners of his own party were not involved in the discussions on getting rid of it. They didn't find out until 5 o'clock the, the night before, and he had already given interviews to Daily Hive, I believe, and the Vancouver Sun. So yeah. talk about a lack of transparency, a lack of democracy, and a lack of process. There has been no public consultation about this motion of his. Yeah. We do more. We When I was at the park board, you know, if you want to go back to sports field, we did more consultation on a sports field upgrade or a, because we were very tight on money because the city underfunds the park board okay. by about $20 million a year. Look at the city budget. It's almost $2 billion. How much yeah. does the park board get? Their total budget for the year operating is about $140 million, And they only get yeah. half of that from city taxes. The other half they raise themselves. So speaking, speaking, of, to, speaking of Vancouver Park Board, John, let me play another clip here for you, John. Speaking of Vancouver, yeah. former Vancouver Park Board Chair John Cooper. Now, I spoke on the show yesterday, John, to former Vancouver City Councilor George Affleck. He agrees with this decision to shut down this, this uh, park board. He says, look, why does Vancouver have a park board? Just about every other city. Is Vancouver almost unique on this with a, with a separate park board. He says it doesn't make sense. Other cities are fine without a park board, including a city like Burnaby. Have a listen. It's the only one, as you know, and we all talk about this, every other city, you go across the border to Burnaby, you look at the parks, you go, Parks and Recreation seem to be doing a pretty darn good job here in Burnaby compared to Vancouver, and they're not voted in by uh, by the public. Yeah, so you have all these other municipalities that seem to do a good job managing their parks, and they don't need a separate elected park board. John, what do you say to that argument? Well, Vancouver is a destination city. It's a much different city than Burnaby. And if you want to look at parks across Canada, and look at waterfront access. Look at the Toronto waterfront access. Look at Montreal waterfront access. Look at Halifax waterfront access. And then look at Vancouver. Vancouver is the envy of North America in terms of its access to the water, the environment, its parks, 240 parks, the largest urban park in Canada, and it's run on a shoestring. Let's get real here. This is, uh, this is nonsense. Uh, this is... A, this board has protected parks. The other thing that I'm very, very concerned about is under the charter now, it takes a two-thirds majority of both park board and council to remove a park from the inventory. This will strip away that protection. And the mayor says, oh, we'll build something in. Well, you know what? I, less, almost a year, less than a year ago, he was talking about keeping the park board. He has no mandate to do it. This is undemocratic. And I call, you know, I've got so would you, commissioners that are coming forward of the community groups. Talk to the community center associations, the, yeah. all the associations, all the sports fields, all of those types of folks that are going to come forward. 
Okay, uh, hey John, would you la- last last question for you? Last question yeah, for you. Would sure. you therefore say th- this is going to end up on the desk of Premier David Eby now because this requires provincial approval to do this? What is your message to him now? Would would you encourage the provincial government to say no to this and keep that park board in place? Well, I would encourage the premier and his cabinet to to look at this and say, does the mayor have a mandate to do this? I would say no, uh, and and I think that it's also clear that uh, this is an ill thought out ill-planned because even his own park commissioners weren't aware of this decision and how he's lost he's lost three members of his caucus he's fired them because they don't agree with them he's only a year in john thank you for coming on today thanks for coming on pleasure always a pleasure thanks mike All right, let's talk about the uh, performance bonuses over at the CBC and the president of the public broadcaster now being called on the carpet to Ottawa. MPs now summoning Catherine Tate, the president of the CBC, to testify at a Commons committee about the recent announcement to uh, lay off 600 workers, another 200 unfilled positions also being scrapped. you got 800 effective layoffs going on over there right before Christmas. At the same time, she's refusing to rule out even more bonuses for CBC executives. Not just the executives making bonuses over there, by the way. There's a ton of people getting bonuses at the CBC. I got Franco Terrazano standing by to discuss. First, let's have a listen to this remarkable exchange here. This is a CBC reporter, Adrian Arsenault, interviewing her boss, the president of the CBC, Catherine Tate, about these bonuses. Listen to this. I'm going to presume no bonuses this year. It's too early to say where we are for for this year. We'll be looking at that like we do all our line items in the coming months. So there's a, there's a chance bonuses could still happen at a time when jobs are being cut? I, again, I, I'm not going to comment on something that hasn't been discussed at this point. So, <laughs> Are you kidding me, man? She's not ruling out more bonuses? And they're laying off 800 people? Come on now. What do you get a bonus for? You get a bonus for firing people right before Christmas? What kind of what kind of performance bonus is that? Franco Terrazano is my guest, federal director, Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Franco, thank you for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me on. Franco, you guys have done some great work in, in digging up uh, through Freedom of Information uh, some of these bonuses. Tell me how many how many what kind of bonuses have been already been doled out over there. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Right, us at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we discovered that the CBC. He handed out $16 million in bonuses last year, a total of $99 million plus in bonuses going back to 2015. And of course, all of that is paid for by the Canadian taxpayer, right? They're getting more than a billion dollars from taxpayers every single year. Um, Look, more than 1,100 people got a bonus last year. The number of employees and and whatever at the CBC taking home a bonus has essentially doubled under the Trudeau government. And, and and can you just like imagine being this tone deaf, right? To to lay off hundreds of people, what weeks before Christmas, and then yeah. still clinging on to that gravy, still wanting to take home that big old bonus. Yeah. So over a th- see, this is one of the things that surprised me with the with the digging that you've done here. Over a thousand people got a bonus over there. So it's not just executives, then, correct? 
Well, we don't know like what positions are getting bonuses. All we're given is the total amount and the number of employees. But you're correct in the sense that, look, $16 million in bonuses last year to a more than 1,100 people. And the number of bonuses paid out, like I said, has essentially doubled uh, since the Trudeau government has come to power. But let's yeah. talk about the executive compensation that Tate is going to be getting. Okay? okay, you ready, folks? Buckle sure. in. Her annual compensation is anywhere between $470,000 all the way up to $623,000. So somewhere in between that. And that counts for both salary, benefits, and you guessed it, folks, a bonus. Bonus. Right? So th this is the president and CEO of an organization who is claiming that the cupboards are bare somehow, even though they're getting a billion from taxpayers plus every year. And she can't even say that she won't take a bonus this year or that executives won't take a bonus this year. So I think everyone has has a right to be outraged here, whether you fully support the CBC, whether you're on the other side of the debate and want to defund the CBC. I think every single Canadian taxpayer should be up in arms about this. OK, so I just want to say that I got friends who work at the CBC. I think there's some very, really talented, fine journalists who work over there. And so that's nothing against against the CBC. When I take a look, though, at these at these bonuses that have been going on, you know, you compare that to the layoffs that have happened in the private sector in the media. Like I worked for a lot of years at the Van Vancouver Province newspaper, Post Media. Man, they they have been cut to the absolute bone there. You know, people have just been they. Hundreds of people lost their jobs over there. CTV, Bell Media, like there have just been tons of cuts in the private sector media world, as we all know. What, Franco, yep. your thoughts on that? Because it just seems to be completely tone deaf here to be giving up performance bonuses right now when this sector is struggling so badly. Well, it's devastating, right? It's, yeah. it's devastating. You know, I also have some journalists uh, across the country that are my friends as well, including here in Ottawa. And of course, this is kind of the talk of town right now, right? Because not, not only is everyone struggling, in, not just in the CBC, but of course, the private sector. I mean, the people who are worried about losing their jobs right before Christmas, I, I, can, I can only imagine. And then to hear your uh, leader, if we can call her that, say, you know, we might not give up bonuses. I, I just can't believe how tone deaf that would be. But, you know, let's also just discuss the fact, and it is, it, it just is a fact that the CBC also um, competes with many of these private sector or independent news outlets, right? So for those private sector competitors or the independent media to know that you have to fork over, you know, a billion of your own tax dollars every single year to fund the CBC. And then the fact that the CBC is still going to be handing out bonuses when all this is happening. Now, let me just... Yeah shift gears ever so slightly to talk about the mismanagement of, of the spending at the CBC. Okay, so mm -hmm. during the pandemic, the federal government announced an extra $42 million for the CBC to help the CBC get through the pandemic. Well, mm -hmm. what did the CBC do? They handed out $46 million in bonuses during the pandemic. So think about it this way. So many people lost their job. Many small businesses may have had to take out a line of credit just to keep the doors open. Now, their tax dollars, an extra $42 million was given to the CBC during the pandemic. Then they handed out an extra $46 million in bonuses. So that math, to me, just doesn't check out. Okay, the federal liberal government voicing support for CBC right now. Um, Pierre Polyev, of course, has promised to effectively, well, he said he would leave some parts of CBC in place, but he, he has promised 
deep, deep cuts in CBC if if the conservatives form government. Now, the other interesting thing, the comparator that I find fascinating is you've got the the federal liberals here now don't seem to be raising any concerns about these bonuses. If you go back just a couple of years ago, when Air Canada gave out performance bonuses to their executives yeah. at the same time that they were getting billions of dollars from taxpayers in a, in a COVID bailout, man, like Justin Trudeau oh. and, and Christia Freeland, the, the finance minister, went absolutely ballistic over that. Let, let's go back to that. Listen to this report. This is just two years ago. The Prime Minister and the Finance Minister both blasting Air Canada for paying out millions of dollars in executive bonuses. There's now some anger coming from Ottawa directed this Prime Minister calling this behaviour by Air Canada completely unacceptable, saying that Air Canada owes Canadians an explanation. Why did Air Canada own the public an explanation two years ago over those bonuses? And I don't hear Trudeau and Freeland demanding an explanation from CBC right now. Franco, your thoughts? Oh, oh, it just it just turns my stomach to just relive what happened during the pandemic, right? When they're giving out uh, subsidies to these corporations, and then we find out that they're ballooning their C-suites at the same time. Yeah. Oh, it makes me sick to my stomach just remembering that. But you know what? Like, let's just be uh, completely honest about why uh, the leadership within the Liberal Party has... I mean, I've seen some liberal MPs speak out against this, but the leaders, why haven't they done it? Because this is under their watch, right? They yeah. don't want to be held accountable for this, right? Because at the end of the day, it's members of parliament, it's it's cabinet, it's the finance minister, it's the prime minister, to right now Trudeau, who is the one who controls the public purse. So all of these bonuses have been going to the Crown Corporation, paid for by the taxpayer, and they don't want to talk about it because it was them who essentially gave them the money. Right. So they don't want yeah. to be held accountable. It's putting them in a, in, in a tough political spot. But the problem is, is that for taxpayers, <laughs> we're getting gouged because of these bonuses. Yeah. Speaking of Franco Terrazano, Canadian Taxpayers Federation, uh, speaking of Pierre Pauly, of the federal conservative leader, he has promised drastic and deep cuts to CBC if he becomes prime minister. So he stood up in the House of Commons this week, tried to move a motion uh, to condemn these CBC bonuses right now during these layoffs at the CBC, uh, voted down by Liberal MPs. Let's have a listen to that. So this is Polyev trying and failing to move a motion on this in the House of Commons. Have a listen. Mr. Speaker, I think if you seek it, you will find unanimous consent for the following motion. Given that the CBC announced it is cutting 600 jobs, and... I'm, I'm, already, hearing a num I'm already hearing a number of no's. I, there must be a misunderstanding because surely the Liberals don't want to give bonuses to CBC executives. <laughs> yeah, you get shouted down by the Liberals there on, on that motion. Okay, <laughs> I, I am relieved though, Franco, to hear that MPs are summoning the CBC president to Ottawa yep. to do some explaining here. What, what kind of questions do you want answered here? Are you going to give up the bonuses? Yeah, that right. is, it's that simple. And, and it's not just like. Look, I am glad that you have uh, members of parliament who are speaking out against this. But at the end of the day, like these are just so far words. And the last thing that we need is more hot air. Like, no, like let's make sure that the CBC and perhaps other crown corporations and other departments aren't just having these bonus parties paid for by the taxpayer, especially when they're not meeting their own objectives. Now, let me go one one step further, Mike. Maybe you or, or your listeners may have not heard this. 
But we've got Mr. Pierre Polyev squarely on the record. He said that he would end the bonuses for failing government authorities, right? Because the problem is, is that this bonus party, if I can call it that, is actually rampant across government. Um, look, in the federal departments, for example, the, the government has given out bonuses to the tune of $1.3 billion, even when government departments consistently fail to meet half of their own objectives. And Mike, I don't know about you, but if, if I can't meet half of my own performance targets, I'm not getting a big fat bonus. I'm getting mm. shown the door. Franco, thank you for coming on to talk about this today. Hey, appreciate you and, and have a great weekend. All right, here we go now with our great debate on COP28, the UN Climate Change Conference underway in Dubai. Lots on the line for Canada here. Been going on all week. Lots of controversy, too, including the president of this year's conference, Sultan Ahmad Al-Jaber. He is the head of the COP28 conference this year, and he is an oil executive in Dubai. He really threw everyone for a loop this week when he questioned the phase-out of fossil fuels. Have a listen to this report from Global News. The head of COP28 under fire again. There is no science uh, out there or no scenario out there that says that the phase-out of fossil fuel is what's going to achieve 1.5. Reported by The Guardian and Centre for Climate Reporting, Sultan Al-Jaber made the comments in an online event ahead of the summit. He also suggested there can't be a phase-out of fossil fuels alongside sustainable development, quote, unless you want to take the world back into caves. Okay, he has uh, walked back some of that here in the last few days. All right, let's discuss it now. Both sides of it for you. Peter McCartney, climate campaigner at the Wilderness Committee. Thanks, Peter, for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, Cody Battershill also on the line. Cody is the founder of Canada Action. That's an oil and gas advocacy group. Cody, thank you for coming on today. Hey, good morning, Mike, and happy Friday to you and Peter. Thanks for thanks for doing this, guys. Peter McCartney, let me go to you first. The COP28, about gathering this year. We got more than 70,000 delegates there in the United Arab Emirates. What are you hoping that emerges from this gathering here? Yeah, I mean, what I think lots of people around the world are hoping is that the COP28 conference results in an agreement to phase out fossil fuels. Um, That is what over 100 countries are pushing for. Uh, Unfortunately, these conferences are designed by consensus. And so countries like Russia and Saudi Arabia would actually have to agree to that in order for it to make it into the deal. But there is lots of pressure going on right now. And the countries that are arguing against this are really being put on the spot to say, you know, you are actively undermining our last best chance to uh, protect the planet and maintain global warming at safe levels. Cody, your thoughts? Well, I mean, it's interesting that Russia and Saudi Arabia are among the biggest benefactors of anti-pipeline activism in Canada. A lot of these other producers don't share our standards for protecting people, for reducing emissions, and for collaborating on carbon capture and storage, clean technology, working with Indigenous communities, and supporting Canada's social programs. There, There is actually a lot of good news coming out of COP, specifically around nuclear power. Canada is a leader in uranium mining and also in nuclear power development. That's a big, huge positive. Also, Canada has been a leader in methane and flaring reductions for many years. Now other countries are looking at 
maybe maybe increasing their stringencies. But again, we, we do need to be balanced because there's not currently a technologically and economically affordable option to replace fossil fuels. And I like what Canada has been doing, investing in wind, investing in solar, hydro, nuclear, and also recognizing the reality, the reality that we do need oil and gas. And when we shut down Canada, those other countries that Peter mentioned are the ones who benefit. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about what's on the line here for Canada at this conference. And Canada has a a huge contingent of people at COP28 right now in Dubai. Let's have a listen to, I'm going to play a clip here of uh, Alberta Premier Danielle Smith and also the federal conservative leader Stephen Gilbeau. Uh, Here's Danielle Smith here, furious at the federal government and the proposed emissions cap on the oil sands in Alberta. She says this would be devastating for Alberta. Let's listen. Today's announced de facto production cap on on Alberta's oil and gas sector amounts to an intentional attack by the federal government on the economy of Alberta. Justin Trudeau and his eco-extremist minister of the environment and climate change, Stephen Gibbo, are risking hundreds of billions of dollars in investments in Alberta's and Canada's economy and core social programs. Okay, so it's a Alberta Premier there uh, calling uh, Stephen, uh, calling out Stephen Gilbo, the federal environment minister who was at COP28, and he was asked about this in Dubai, and here's the federal environment minister firing back at Alberta. But we've done a number of things to tackle the, the emissions from the oil and gas sector, but unfortunately that's not enough. I mean, it's going to be the law, uh, the federal law. Provinces can't simply decide to ignore uh, federal laws in, a, in, our, in, our federal, in our federation. Okay, so Peter, this standoff continues between Saskatchewan, or, well, Saskatchewan's in there as too, but Alberta versus the federal government. A lot of, this, a lot of discussion around this in Dubai. Peter McCartney, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, interesting because on this stage, Daniel Smith is the extremist. Not Stephen Gubo, as she accuses. Alberta actually got the Fossil of the Year Award, the first time it's ever been given to a subnational jurisdiction, because Alberta is the single worst actor at this conference that the climate action community chose. Um, and so, you know, it's I think it's hilarious that uh, we're trying to paint these other countries as, you know, somehow worse than Canada because they want to expand fossil fuel production when Russia and Saudi Arabia and the Sultan uh, of the UAE are using the same talking points that Cody is using, because this is the fossil fuel industry defending itself on a global scale at the expense of millions of people who are on the front lines of climate disasters all around the world right now. Hey, Cody, what do you you say to that? Just in the interest of time here, Cody, go ahead. I mean, Peter's got a good new stand-up routine going. I mean, Alberta, Canada is now the only place in the world that's talking about capping production while demand continues to grow. So Peter's talking about Russia and Saudi Arabia. They're, they're going to produce it instead. We need all energy. We need to have an affordable quality of living for Canadians. We need to support Indigenous communities who are coming out actually saying that this emissions production cap is bad. We need to continue to invest in wind and solar, nuclear, hydro. We need all of the above. Peter's against almost all of those things. And when we look at human rights, when we look at democracy, when we look at funding war and funding terrorism, and when we look at supporting Canadians in Canada, oil and gas is our largest export. It's a massive contributor to our economy. Demand is growing. It keeps us alive. It helps our food production. It is multifaceted. And 
Peter's stand-up routine is not actually pragmatic. It's not balanced. It's not informed. It's just nonsense. Okay. okay. That, and, and these other countries benefit. Okay, Peter, I know you want to respond to that, but let me just fit this in quickly before the break, because I was just wondering what you guys think of the, the carbon footprint of, of a massive gathering like this of over 70,000 delegates gathering in the United Arab Emirates right now. Uh, some of them flew there in a private jet. And I thought this was hilarious that you got the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak and also King Charles. They both took their own separate private jets to Dubai. You think they could have done a, a jet pool or something, go in the same private jet. But let's have a listen to King Charles here speaking at COP28. The earth does not belong to us. We belong to the earth. Some important progress has been made, but it worries me greatly that we remain so dreadfully far off track. Okay, Peter, I always sort of roll my eyes when I hear people who have flown there in a private jet sort of lecturing everybody else. But anyway, your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I do too. It's not a good look. and But there are global conferences that happen all the time that people fly to. So I think it's it's just a distraction. But I think more importantly, who are you going to listen to about what needs to happen to maintain a safe climate on this planet? Someone who has spent years trying to get good climate policy or a person who is paid by the fossil fuel industry to be on this show today? I There's just you know, no equivalency um, between the fossil fuel industry's quote unquote plan to deal with climate change and what actually the science needs to tell us, which is that a phase of, out of fossil fuels needs to happen uh, as soon as possible in order to save lives. Okay, Cody, go ahead. Yeah, I, again, I just think we need to be balanced and Peter's anything but. In fact, Peter's actually adding to the polarization by sharing this this misinformed uh, 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 idea that Canada is somehow a laggard. When you look at the How facts, am I Canada Cody? is Canada. Well, a lot of what you're saying, Peter, is just not factually accurate, and it's not globally balanced. Can you be specific? Canada is a leader in carbon capture and storage. Canada is a leader in reducing emissions from oil and gas, methane, and flaring. Canada is a leader in hydroelectricity, wind, and solar investment. Canada is a leader in responsible mining of uranium for nuclear power. Canada is a leader across the board and blocking Northern Gateway, delaying Trans Mountain, blocking liquefied natural gas exports. Peter's been saying the same thing for a decade. In that time, oil and natural gas demand around the world has grown massively. It continues to grow. Yes, I'm proud to support the women, men, union, non-union, indigenous, non-indigenous Canadians across the entire country that work in our responsible resource sector. Capping Canadian natural resource production in a world of of robust and growing demand is absolutely nonsense. But let's I talk am about okay. to support Peter, go ahead. Canadian climate. Quick response, Peter. Quick response. Let's talk about robust and growing demand. So the International Energy Agency hardly, hardly hippies, says that fossil fuel demand will decline under any of its scenarios this decade. And They've in the 2030s, time, it no, they haven't. They have said that. Peak demand will occur in the 2020s, and now it is happening. So yes, they have said it for a long time, and it is coming true. And fa actually, it is happening faster than most experts have predicted. And so okay. oil and gas demand is going to decline this decade. And whether or not that decline is gradual or whether or not it falls off a cliff in the 2030s is going to determine whether we have a safe climate on this planet. Why don't you want Canadians to, to be producing those resources, Peter, as long as the world needs it? Why would you not want it to come from Canada? 
Because, we are climate because we're not we are going to. We have the leader. most expensive oil and gas in the world, and no that country is, is willing to pay a premium for our supposedly better oil and gas. Okay, the whole let me, world let me Canada, is, Canada, Canada is for LNG. going to have to be. The world is asking for Canada to step up and produce and export more. It's our great COP28 debate. Peter McCartney uh, is with me. Also, Cody Battershill, your calls. Wayne in Richmond on the open line. Hi, Wayne. Go ahead. Hi, Mike. Yeah, I, I disagree with your environmentalist. I mean, China's building a coal plant a week and bringing them online. BBC's quote is Xi Jinping saying we're not stopping doing that until at least 2026. If all of that emission since 2015, since the Paris Accords, had been with Canadian liquefied natural gas, this world would not be heating up like it is. And the fact that Alberta won this award and China didn't just speaks to how politically corrupt these idiots at COP28 are. And when they meet in Azerbaijan, another oil-producing country in, tw- in COP29, it just tells you, this is crap. It's okay. a way to get power by a few idiot people. Th- thank you. Peter, is this true that, that China builds a, a new coal plant every week? I hear this all the time. Is that correct? China's building lots of coal right now. It wouldn't yeah. be better if it was building liquefied natural gas from Canada, because as much as a 0.2% leakage rate on that methane makes it worse than coal. And so this idea mm. that somehow things would be different and the world wouldn't be warming, it would be warming faster because that methane, that when it leaks into the atmosphere, warms the climate 86 times faster than carbon dioxide Mike. over its lifetime. Liquefied natural gas is a fossil fuel just like any other fossil fuel, and we need to end the combustion of it as soon as possible. Peter, ahead, Peter wants to end the Canadian, Peter wants to end Canada's production of it. So Qatar, the US, Australia, Nigeria, Russia, all these other okay, countries okay, Cody, let's produce it instead. Let's the talk IPCC, about who is producing. Peter, Peter loves to talk about the inter- international a governmental panel of of climate change they have said that natural gas electricity generation is 50 percent better for emissions than coal full stop not on the life there cycle. are many indigenous that is not communities that are true it's true it is true there are many indigenous communities that are also trying to get themselves out of intergenerational poverty peter is ignoring their wishes peter is ignoring the global reality that we must support all okay. Canadian energy Let's, as a Okay, hang on, hang on a second. Okay, Cody, thank you for making that point. Peter, let me let me give you a chance to respond. So you're saying that okay, maybe natural gas burns cleaner than coal. I don't think anyone can deny that, but you're saying over the life cycle of production of LNG it's worse. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Over the life cycle, when you take the methane that's leaking into the atmosphere during fracking, transportation, processing, liquefaction, and the tankers that cross the ocean, gas actually warms the climate faster than coal. But I also want to talk about, you know, Cody assumes that it's these other countries that are going to be producing, but the majority of the world's fossil fuel expansion is planned in five countries, the US, the UK, Norway, Australia, and Canada. And so we are actually the bad players here. Cody, go ahead. I, 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 like that you, I like that you talked about Norway. Norway has said they're going to continue to expand their oil and gas industry while they also invest in other forms of energy. That's the pragmatic approach for Canada to also support Canadian families. Like I said, Indigenous, non-Indigenous communities and support our quality of life. As long as the world needs a resource that Canadians can produce, common sense dictates that Canada should produce it. Our environmental okay. climate Human rights standards are leading the world, despite some of this comedy that Peter's talking about.
Thanks for listening to the Mike Smith Show podcast. Can't wait for the latest episode to drop. Tune into the show live from 9 to noon on 980 CKNW. Want to reach out to me personally with a question or comment? Send me an email, mike at cknw.com. Thanks again for listening.